Hello and welcome everyone to KSQD Santa Cruz at 90.7 FM. I'm Patrick Hart and you're listening to our show, What to Be, where we interview inspiring people and highlight their careers. What to Be is a program provided by Your Future is Our Business, a Santa Cruz County nonprofit that helps students explore careers through programs such as college and career expos, panels, and other work-based learning activities. Please note that the views and opinions expressed in this program do not necessarily represent or reflect those of Natural Bridges Media or Your Future is Our Business. The information provided during this program does not reflect its career in its entirety. And today I have the pleasure to speak to Ted Garbiff, who's an aerospace engineer at NASA. Hi, Ted. Hello. Hi, Patrick. Hi. Thank you so much for joining the program. Really oh, appreciate you taking the time. With, excited to talk with you today. Thanks. Yeah, thank you very much. Ted, you have a really amazing job. Do you mind briefly describing your career journey for us? Oh, sure. Yeah. So, so I'm an aerospace engineer at NASA. Uh, I work at NASA Ames Research Center. Many people maybe not be aware that, yes, there's a NASA here in Silicon Valley. Uh, we're over there uh, off Highway 101. When you're driving up to San Francisco, you can see all these big buildings off to your right there. And, and that's us at Moffett Field. I mean, so I'm an aerospace engineer and I, I mostly work in the wind tunnels where we test out new ideas for airplanes and rockets and, and things like that. And uh, yeah, it's really a lot of fun. I, I guess I'm one of those annoying people who has always known what they wanted to be like their entire lives. Since <laughs> I can awesome. remember, I wanted to be an aerospace engineer. Uh, <laughs> a big part of my life was um, my grandpa, who was also named Ted Garbeff, incidentally. So I'm actually Ted Garbeff II. And he was an engineer. He was an industrial engineer in Stockton, California, which is where I grew up. And, you know, he got me very interested in, in engineering and science at an early age. And yeah, I just, you know, I was like, of course, aerospace engineering. That's, I love airplanes and rockets and space. And that's what I'm going to do. And I, yeah, I just, I'm just like very, very fortunate and lucky to have um, ended up kind of, you know, being able to do it. So, yeah, I, uh, of course, you know, um, took the path of going to engineering school. I, I went to Cal Poly in San Luis Obispo and, and was there for six years to get my undergrad and graduate degree, which incidentally, you know, having a master's degree and working at, at NASA and, and en engineering in general isn't a requirement. I just, yeah, I was just really interested and it was a lot of fun for me to, to get my master's. And yeah, you know, I was able to, to score an internship at NASA during my time at Cal Poly and was, you know, it's kind of, um, it's kind of a funny like series of events. And I think a lot of times, you know, getting, a, um, when you look back on how you came to be where you are, not just in your career, but in everything, it's, there's so many like chance happenings and, and things that just seem completely lucky, you know, happened to me where I was able to get the internship and then kind of convince them to hire me. And then, you know, I, I, I started working before I had actually finished my um, thesis. So I actually didn't have a degree, but I was a lot of like going into work and then going home and writing my thesis. And of course, very stressful. And, you know, I was finally able to, to, to finish school and have a real job. And yeah, just a, a lot of big things happening at once towards the end of my career there at school. And um, now I've been at NASA since, since 2007. And it's just been, been a lot of fun. It's a, uh, yeah, there's there's so many, I guess, different kinds of projects that I've worked on over my my short time at NASA. I think that's kind of what makes NASA so fun is the work is so varied and, and interesting. That's a really cool journey. Thank you for sharing that, Ted. And 
was it tough going to school in Cal Poly and then commuting, I guess, I'm not sure if you were commuting back up to where you work now? Oh, well, so yeah, at the time I had, um, you know, I had finished, I guess, the experimental part of my thesis work. So I was able to fortunately be up in Sunnyvale and be close closely located to work. I, I did have to do a bit of commuting down down to San Luis Obispo to, to finish up some thesis work and defend. But yeah, I, I guess, you know, engineering school in general was hard. Like it was, um, it's very hard, especially at the beginning. And, and that's the thing that, you know, I, I don't know if like a lot of people would agree, but I, I, I feel like oftentimes there's sort of a feeling of more or less like weeding out the serious people and starting out at engineering school is hard. And, you know, I, I failed a class my first year and was on academic probation because of that. And, you know, and it's funny because like uh, at Cal Poly, at least they have a thing where if you retake it and you get an A or a B after you fail a class, well, that grade completely replaces the, 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 the F. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. um, yeah. And, and then you're thinking, oh, well, maybe this is like for a reason, you know, because it happens a lot. Um, mm. And so it's, it was very discouraging at first. And, and certainly like I had a lot of friends switch majors and, and drop out. And I, yeah, I guess I can't, I can't talk to like the strategy for engineering schools in general. I think a lot of them are, can be very difficult at the beginning. It's a big adjustment, of course, coming from high school, going to um, studying engineering. And but, you know, it was my experience that like as you move along in engineering school, like the the more fun it is, it just gets to be more and more fun where where you're starting to get into clubs like a rocketry club, robotics. And personally, for me, I, I was able to get we have a little wind tunnel there and, and um, I was able to to get involved with that. And as you go along in engineering school, it just becomes more and more fun, right? And so it's the whole thing where you don't like realize that you're like learning because you're just excited about doing stuff. Mm-hmm. And and incidentally, like, so I'm, I'm a mentor with NASA and a lot of what I look for when I'm like looking through resumes for interns is, is that just like being excited, you know? And I think that's like a big part of like maybe what sets NASA apart because, you know, we have this pool of super well-qualified people that want to come work at NASA, but more so than like academics, what really sets people apart, at least for me, is really just like being excited about the thing. Like, you know, having hobbies that maybe are, you know, like you do robotics for fun, you like to fly airplanes, you know, something like that. So, so I know that, you know, you're interested in, in this, you get excited about these things because, because these problems we're working on can be really challenging and, and, and you have to like really love the, the thrill of like figuring the thing out, you know? Um, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, you want to, you know, you want to work with people that share your passion, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That yeah. makes sense. And so was Moffett Field always part of NASA or did it become part of NASA? Oh yeah. So, okay. So before NASA, the National Aeronautics and Space Administration was NASA, it was actually the NASA, or sorry, the National Advisory Committee for Aeronautics, the NACA. Um, And so this was this thing founded kind of at the turn of the 20th century where, okay, you know, the Wright brothers had just demonstrated power flight. They wanted to get together and say, hey, let's figure out how to make airplanes. And so kind of think of it as like a NASA before NASA was NASA, but NASA was the, instead of rockets and stuff, NASA was just going to figure out airplanes. And that was the NACA. And so that kind of started out in Virginia at Langley Airfield, which is now a NASA research center. It 
turns out there's a lot of NASA research, NASA field centers spread across the country. And Langley Research Center had built, you know, some what we call wind tunnels, these things to, you know, before you build the full size airplane and put somebody in it, you want to test it out first, right, to see how well it'll work. And so they had built some some wind tunnels, but they wanted to expand. And so they sent out some folks, they sent a few folks to Cleveland, they sent a few folks out to Moffett Field in California. This is very close to Mountain View. Um, and then some folks down to, to Pasadena. And you notice here, right, there's the Jet Propulsion Laboratory down in Pasadena. There's Glenn Research Center in Cleveland, right? So all these NACA field centers that were originally designed to figure out airplanes, Moffett Field built a bunch of wind tunnels, turned out to be NASA centers because when President Kennedy decided to go to the moon in 1958, the NACA turned into the NASA. And all of these NACA field centers turned into NASA centers. And so this is why we have these kind of NASA centers spread all across the country. At the time, it was sort of like a naval airfield. So there's an airstrip there. You'll notice when you drive up, there are these big hangars where they had dirigibles um, left over from pre-World War II, like the 30, late 30s, when they would send out you know, these, these airships to kind of look for submarines and stuff like that. It's a very interesting history there, Moffat Field. It's, it's very much worth a visit. Very cool. Do they allow, I mean, maybe not right now, but in normal times, are people allowed to come take a tour? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, during normal times. Currently, the, the center access as it's a federal facility is, is pretty con- tightly controlled and capped at 25% occupancy. But but yeah, there's, a, there's like a visitor center there, which is fun to go to and check out. You can go check out the airfield. And then there are, there are ways to request official tours of NASA facilities. And, and that's always a lot of fun. I love giving tours and showing people around the wind tunnels and, and looking at all the old history there. And it's just fascinating. I bet. And it's probably like a, would be a great spot for like a, a class field trip, you know, for students who are interested in pursuing maybe a career with NASA. Absolutely. Yeah, we do field trips. Yeah, you can, you can sign up to go, you know, see the supercomputer, which is just a blast and then go check out the wind tunnels. And we have a um, vertical motion simulator, which is just really advanced flight simulator for, for testing out, you know, real control algorithms for aircraft and spacecraft. There's a lot of really neat stuff at, um, at Ames Research Center. Very yeah. cool. Ted, it was some years ago that there was a plane carrying, I think it was a retired spacecraft down to to maybe it was down in Pasadena. Was it taking it down to NASA's facility down down south? Let's see. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the space shuttle, space mm-hmm. shuttle Endeavor, I believe that was. Yeah, that was, uh, wasn't that fun? That was yeah. really cool. I was so yeah, happy to cool? see it because I had oh. heard about it. I'm like, oh my God, there it is. And it was so huge. Yeah. And it was so fun too that it flew over us, right? It went over mm-hmm. Santa Cruz and over Monterey. And then, yeah, it went down to LA where it's actually at the LA Science Museum. Oh. And it's just so fun to go see. It's free. And anybody who's down there should, should go check out Endeavor. I mean, she's, it's just, it, what's so beautiful about it is like you say, it's, it's huge. Like it's, it's so much bigger than, than you'd ever expect the space shuttle to be. Cause we, you know, we grew up with it and we, we've, we've, you know, you always see like video footage of it taking off, but to be there next to it, it's just fascinating. It's just, it's just so cool. And so, yeah, you can go and, and go and see the space shuttle. Uh, they, there's really interesting like videos on YouTube where you can check out how they got it from its carrier aircraft all the way to, all the way to the, the museum. 
and, and that's that's really fun. So that yeah, is... it's the it's the California Science Center. Has, okay, thanks. Has Endeavor. Yeah, Maybe next time I'm visiting my sister down south, I can we can go and check it out. That'd be yeah, cool. I highly recommend it. It's really fun. Thanks. Ted, do you mind just talking about kind of what your general day to day or week looks like? Oh, sure. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Well, so uh, so I, you know, support wind tunnel testing, right? Where we're we're testing out new ideas for airplanes and rockets. And, and um, oftentimes, you know, that means going in in the middle of the night because it turns out our wind, wind tunnels run two shifts, maybe three shifts a day. The main reason for running like a night shift and a day shift is because we use so much power to run these wind tunnels. And, you know, our, our, one of our wind tunnels, our unitary plan wind tunnel, when it's running uses like, I think it's like 160 megawatts, which is like more power than the city of Mountain View, just one wind tunnel. Right. So because we don't want to crash the power grid, we'll often run in the middle of the night and like at off hours during the day. And so, so my day will typically consist of, you know, supporting the wind tunnel test. So we have like a control room where we'll go in and, and in there we're monitoring the test. We're working with so many different kinds of, of engineers and, you know, electricians, mechanics, right? Not everyone's gone to college even. There, there's so many very different backgrounds because everyone has unique skills. We have technicians who are like just brilliant at like soldering and, and building tiny little connectors. We have like mechanics and machinists there that are great at like keeping the facility running. I'm an engineer. I mostly work on like measurement technology. So I'm in there doing my part in the control room. Uh, we have engineers that are really great at like planning and scheduling, doing stuff like that. So it's kind of a team in a control room in the middle of the night, <laughs> huh. um, running running the wind tunnel. And and now, you know, with COVID, we're, we're doing some remote work too when we can. And so, you know, I will be working on ideas and um, managing some of my projects at home and stuff like that. But yeah, yeah, it's it's a mix of night shift, day shift, um, just depending on what's going on. Yeah, it sounds like a very exciting place to work. And, you know, NASA, like they must have to fabricate a lot of their own, you know, parts, right? I mean, are you guys using 3D printers, you know, is that yeah, we, we do do some 3D printing. We, we have some 3D printers at work. It turns out, though, when, when we're talking about like this kind of experimental work where we're putting things in you know, a wind tunnel and we're, we're blowing air past it and the air might be you know, going at one and a half, two and a half times the speed of sound, right? And we've also increased the pressure in there so that it's twice what it would normally be. So like two atmospheres of pressure that the forces on these things are extremely high on these models of airplanes and rockets. And so um, what that means is oftentimes we're actually, um, what we have to do is make, make these things out of like really strong, exotic kinds of steel, stainless steels. Um, We do do some 3d, we do get some 3d printed parts. um, And, but oftentimes those are like a different kind of process, a laser centered process. So they actually end up being metal but it's like layers of metal. It's basically a metal powder that's melted with a laser, a layer at a time. So yeah, yeah, you wouldn't, wouldn't think of like just your normal, you know, like uh, PLA or ABS 3D printed thing in the wind tunnel. They're, yeah, they're oftentimes sense. very strong. And these models, you know, very expensive, take a long time to machine and build. They're very complicated, right? Because they're instrumented and yeah, but it's really fascinating. It just depends on the kind of test. Like NASA has um, the space launch system, right? This new big giant moon rocket that NASA is um, hoping to launch at the end of this year, but maybe next year. And and so, for instance, we'll do a wind tunnel test with a model of that, where it's you know, 
a small percentage of the full scale. Obviously, we can't test the full size thing, but you know, it'll be covered in microphones. We'll have like 400 tiny little microphones oh. on it because it turns out understanding the acoustics of the environment around these these rockets is really important because when you launch a big rocket, the the noise not from the rocket engines necessarily, but from the aerodynamic buffeting. Right when if you're ever on the freeway and you roll your window down and you get that kind of buffeting going on, mm-hmm. understanding that kind of thing for these rockets is just critical because that buffeting can be so loud that it will destroy the rocket and kill the astronauts. So that's like an example of like one of the how like well so we'll cover a little model and like hundreds and hundreds of teeny tiny little microphones like pinhead sized microphones and then try to understand the noise environment around a launch vehicle. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, and, and, you know, we have other things too, like we have a special kind of paint called pressure sensitive paint hmm. where, where you can actually put a paint on the model and see the pressure. You can take pictures of the pressure, uh, which is really neat. And, and we have ways of like visualizing the shock waves, like by doing Schlieren imagery, which is another thing. If you like, if, if you're like on Google and looking up, uh, different experimental methods in wind tunnels, we have lots of fun, neat things. Um, that's that's really cool. Ted, did I did I read recently that NASA is potentially planning on going back to the moon? Yeah, that's right. That um, big NASA push right now, it's called Artemis. And so think of Apollo, right? You might be familiar with when mm-hmm. um, astronauts went to the moon back in the in the 60s and 70s. Well, so Artemis, right, is I think Apollo's sister. Yeah. Anyways, so that's, <laughs> I'm not very up on my Greek mythology, mm-hmm. sorry. But um, anyways, that's the NASA's new program to go back to the moon. But the idea, and what's exciting about it is that I'm not saying that the uh, Apollo missions weren't exciting, they were super exciting. But the idea now is to try to have more of, of a sustained presence back on the moon. And so we're not talking about just going and landing and coming back, but we're talking like moon bases. I'm like staying on the moon. We're talking about like a moon space station which uh, NASA is calling the Gateway, which is the space station sort of in, in lunar orbit that can ferry astronauts back up and down from the space station using commercially provided launch services, human, the human landing systems. Mm-hmm. So right now, SpaceX has been contracted to basically sh- uh, shuttle ferry astronauts from the gateway, the, this moon space station down to the moon bases on the surface. So, so it's going to be really exciting. The astronauts will be launching on the space launch system, which is this um, sort of uh, new rocket that uses a lot of shuttle derived components. So like the solid rocket boosters that you might be familiar with from the space shuttle, those side boosters, um, those are back, but bigger. It's using the space shuttle main engine, four of them, to launch four astronauts up on Orion, which is the new NASA capsule. So yeah, it's a very exciting time for human spaceflight. And, and so Artemis 1, so like the first Artemis mission, which will be an uncrewed launch of the space launch system from Florida, I think was going to be happening like in this November or December, but I think that might've gotten pushed. I, I think there was a development on that recently. And yeah, we'll hopefully very soon be seeing the first uh, man, the first woman, the first person of color, like on the moon. And it'll, sorry, not the first man, um, the next men, but yeah, the first woman and first person of color on the moon. And yeah, it's a very exciting time and to stay, you know, uh, I mean, not like we're going to tell these people they can't come back, but mm-hmm. I mean, having like a permanent presence on the moon, is going to be very yeah, exciting. I guess it kind of always surprised me that, that we hadn't done this already. And then also would part of the reason to have a base there be because it's it's easier to launch from the moon 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's that's a very good point. You could say, for instance, we've since we had since we've been to the moon, we've actually sent um, several robotic missions to the moon. We've we've now understood that there's actually quite a bit of water ice on the moon, and you know, water is something you can make rocket fuel out of. And like you suggested, it's much easier. It takes a lot less effort to launch from the moon to say Mars than it would be to launch from the earth to get to Mars. And so that's an idea. Yeah, that's, that's one of the ideas. There's, you know, the thought of, boy, the moon is actually a very harsh place to learn how to live. If we can learn how to live there, we'll have no problem living on Mars where there's actually a little bit of atmosphere on Mars. At least there's like a hundredth of an atmosphere. And yeah, so it's, it's just kind of like, you know, how the space station, the international space station, the idea was to learn how to live in space. Going to the moon is just kind of taking that to the next level. But it's still close enough, right? If there's an emergency, we can help the people, whereas Mars is a more of a distant target. Yeah, that makes sense. And just really exciting, too. And I'd imagine, you know, for you especially, because you're right there working on all these, you know, exciting developments. Yeah, it's a really fun time at NASA. And there's also, like, there's so many fun, exciting things going on. Like, you know, there's two car-sized rovers with nuclear-powered batteries driving around on Mars right now, wow. right? Perseverance and Curiosity. That's right. Just huh? just out there exploring. And there's a helicopter. You know, Ingenuity is still flying mm-hmm. around, taking pictures, scouting. Perseverance, per, uh, Perseverance. she just got uh, the first sample that she bagged up into a little tube. And, and hopefully, there'll, there'll be a follow-on mission where they're going to s- launch those samples back to Earth. So we'll get our first, like, Mars sample returns so we can study like real martian soil wait now what's it look like launching a sample back uh, yeah that that's going to be a really interesting mission right so i i think um the european space agency esa and maybe jaxa the japanese space agency, they're, they're kind of we're all collaborating on on an idea for just a pure sample return mission so it'd be something like that would go land near where perseverance is pick mm-hmm. up these little tubes and put them on you know a little rocket to send it back and and capture them probably in the atmosphere actually jaxa has a lot of experience with this with their hayabusa missions one and two they've actually collected samples from an asteroid and and sent it back and caught them i think more recently the second mission landed in the australian outback so yeah it's it's a very very fun collaborative kind of thing Um, Yeah. yeah and that must be really cool too just working with people from all over the world on these amazing projects yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I I um, you know, I I get a little bit less of that because <laughs> I'm just working on, you know, kind of experimental mm-hmm. work on airplanes and rockets, but I, I we still have pretty good collaboration with, you know, our colleagues in in Europe and in other countries as well. So yeah, that this it's fun. It's it's fun like you know, co- being able to cooperate and and just trying to understand because this stuff is so hard, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it really makes sense to, it's a good place to cooperate. Um, there's a lot of good reasons to, to be friends and, and share ideas. Absolutely. Cool. Yeah. And Ted, you've worked on probably all kinds of really cool projects, but if you could pick, you know, what's one of the more favorite projects that you've worked on? Oh, let's see. Um, I guess recently I've been having a lot of fun uh, working on, you know, uh, testing models of the space launch system right because this is just like it's just so cool to 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 see the way that the rocket performs and really what's what's fun is that you're like you're seeing something that nobody's seen before and that's just really like fascinating to me and, and exciting and then you know they're building it too and so that's that's what's really neat too is to as i can't wait for artemis one because then we'll get to see it launch and we'll actually get to see the thing and 
that I've, I've worked so many years on. And for those who are just tuning in, you're listening to the What To Be Show on KSQD Santa Cruz, 90.7 FM. I'm Patrick Hart, and I'm speaking to Ted Garbiff, who's an aerospace engineer with NASA. And Ted, what kind of advice or resources can you give to students who are interested in pursuing a career and maybe becoming a aerospace engineer? Oh, okay. Well, so let's see. For me, you know, I've I've always been, you know, my goal has always been to work at NASA and it couldn't hurt to get an internship at NASA, certainly for other things in your career if you don't necessarily want to work at NASA. So I'd say go to intern.nasa.gov and basically get in the system there. It's a great opportunity to basically get your resume on there. You can you can kind of highlight things you're interested in. They'll kind of match you with with opportunities, not just here, you know, at NASA and at Ames Research Center, but all across all of the NASAs, right? Florida and Texas, Alabama, you know, Ohio. So, so I, yeah, intern.nasa.gov. And really, you know, an internship uh, is a very big part of, you know, the selection process. It, it's, it's always great to see, you know, some experience on somebody's resume. And, you know, I know when we look to hire people, the in, internships always have a, have a big play, but like I mentioned earlier, even more so is just being like interested and enthusiastic in engineering in general, something in science, really, in math. It's, it's really something I, I look for more so than academics. You know, I, if I'm, I might go through 150 resumes for an internship position and, and, you know, I, you know, there, of course we have some GPA requirements for NASA internships, you know, you need to have at least a 3.0, but, and, and be at least, I think a senior in high school, but I, um, you know, I really, what I look for is that you're excited and interested in engineering. And that can be like, I have a hobby. I have a 3d printer at home, you know, or like I have an Arduino that I love to like program to, you know, I made a squirrel feeder or something like that. You know, it's that, it's that kind of thing that I, I, I think a lot of us really love to see that, that you're genuinely interested in this stuff because that, that makes you fun to work with. That's the kind of like problem solving we at least need at NASA. And I think everyone, you know, in the industry would probably agree as well. So that's another piece of advice there, I guess. Okay. Yeah. Thank you, Ted. And what about advice for someone who is unsure about their career path? Let's see. Well, I think like, again, I said, I, you know, I, I'm one of those people who has just always known what I wanted to do. And that's really annoying. I and mean, that's not an answer you'd want to hear, but I have had a lot of friends who have, who have really, you know, one of my good friends, she went through the whole aerospace engineering program and then she went into medical devices and, you know, and, and now she's really into like crafting and, and just creating something new. And so I think really, you know, it's stere- it sounds stereotypical, but like follow your passion. Because like I said, being interested in the thing uh, is really just such a good way to go, you know, because it creates this, this atmosphere of fun at work, you know, fun in your life. And, you know, if you're lucky enough to be able to figure out how to make your passion and, and into a career, then, then that's, that's really, I think, the best way to, to live and work. Yeah, agreed. And yeah, thank you very much. That was great advice. And Ted, I just want to thank you again for taking the time to help us do this interview today. I really appreciate it. I mean, there's so many questions I would like to ask you, but you know, unfortunately we only have so much time, but thank you yeah, again so much. Oh, it's a pleasure to talk with you today. And um, yeah, yeah. Maybe I hope to talk to you again in the future. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Are there really... any last things you would like to leave us with? No, I just, I just love what you guys are doing. I think it's just fantastic because everyone has a different story, you know, about how they ended up where they are and it's just so, so fun to hear everybody's different stories. It just helps like put together, you know, an image 
And because I know it can be scary when you're going out there and trying to decide where, what to study at school or, or even like where, where, where to work. And yeah, I think just being open to hearing other people's experiences and knowing that it's not like some formula, you know, it's not something that's just, if I do this, then this, then this, then this will happen. That's not the way, you know, a lot of this stuff works. And it really is like, oh, you know, I happened to meet this person at, you know, this, you know, engineering club. And, you know, that they introduced me to this person who like said they needed help with this. I got interested in that and then like ended up, you know, getting into, you know what I mean? Like this mm-hmm. is kind of circuitous paths and, yeah. and just letting stuff like happen and not, mm-hmm. not like stressing so much about, well, this hasn't Agreed. happened for like me. Like putting yet, yourself you know? in the right position with the right attitude, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Very cool. Well, thank you again, Ted. Definitely appreciate it. And And thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in to today's career story with me, Patrick Hart, on our show, What to Be, with today's guest, Ted Garbeth, who's an aerospace engineer with NASA. If you have any questions or would like to share your career story with us, please send us an email at whattoberadio at gmail.com. If you've enjoyed our show, please join us again at 90.7 FM, KSQD Santa Cruz, at 7 p.m. on Sundays, and streaming online at ksqd.org. Or you can find us on major podcast streaming platforms like Spotify. And please visit our website at yfiob.org for more information about your future as our business. Thank you very much and see you next time.